Good afternoon. Our story is found on page 832 of the Pew Bible. It is the second chapter of Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Wouldn't you just like to have Miss Marlene come to your house and read stories to you? <laughs> I want that. <laughs> a few years ago, my wife Andy and I had the opportunity to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And if you ever get that opportunity, I hope you'll go, but I, I particularly wanted to give you a piece of advice. You see... As you go to tour those sites in the Holy Land, you have to understand that there is some ambiguity at play over there. And what I mean by that is simply this. We don't know precisely where Jesus was crucified. 
We don't know exactly where his tomb was. We don't know right where on the Jordan River he was baptized. There's ambiguity. You simply have to say, I I know that somewhere in this area, this holy event took place. I tell you that to tell you this. While there is some ambiguity around many where many of the events of Jesus' life took place, that same ambiguity does not exist when it comes to the place where Jesus was born. There is virtually universal agreement among scholars that we know exactly the place where Jesus was born. Let me explain. In the year 135 AD, the Emperor Hadrian commissioned a temple to be built at a specific location in Bethlehem. And history tells us the reason Emperor Hadrian commissioned this temple to be built is because he wanted to discourage Christians from going to that particular location in Bethlehem to worship. Now we can ask ourselves, a hundred years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, what would cause... What would cause the emperor to want to keep people away from this place? Where were they going in the town of Bethlehem? Well, of course, they were going to the place where Jesus was born to worship there. And so, in 135 AD, this temple to Adonis was built on a specific site in Bethlehem. And 200 years later, at the urging of the emperor Constantine, that temple was destroyed, and on that same location was built a church called the Church of the Nativity, which still stands to this day. It is there, above the church of the, below the Church of the Nativity, where almost certainly Jesus Christ was born. And so, I thought it might be interesting together tonight to, to use that Church of the Nativity as a springboard into our conversation around the birth of Christ, to actually center this event in the location where it occurred for the purpose of better understanding the meaning of the Christ event. What was the point of Christ's coming? So we spent a few minutes talking about this place called the Church of the Nativity. This is a picture of the Church of the Nativity. It is a big, beautiful, old, old church. And, and you can see as you walk along the colonnade, by the way, at this hour right now, there are thousands of people gathered in this courtyard celebrating the birth of Christ tonight. And, and you can notice at the, at the end of the colonnade, you see a door. And as you get a little bit closer to that door, you you start to recognize that the door is kind of short. In fact, it's four feet tall. Uh, This is a picture of a guy trying to walk through that door. Um, When I walked through that door, it looked like I was playing a bad game of limbo. It was curious. It's four feet tall. And you might ask yourself, why why would they put a door that was four feet tall into one of the holiest churches in history? Well, the answer was that the architect wanted to ensure that no one could approach the birthplace of Jesus Christ without bowing. That door is called the door of humility, and you can't approach Christ's birthplace without bowing. As as you pass through the door of humility, you enter the nave of the Church of the Nativity. What is a nave? A nave is the place where people sit or stand in a church. Why is it called a nave? Uh, naves are called naves because if you look at the ceiling of most churches, the ceiling of churches tends to look like the bottom of a ship. It's the same r- word from which we get the word navy. And the Church of Nativity's ceiling does in fact look like the bottom of a ship. You can also tell from looking at the picture, 
that there are some dark spots along the wall. Those are the remnants of ancient frescoes that were painted on the wall of the Church of the Nativity. I told you I wanted to use this church as a, as a jumping off point for our story. So this is where I want to pause and tell part of the tale, the part that involves the wise men. For a reason that will become clear in just a moment, we're going to stop right here in the nave of the Church of the Nativity. We don't know very much about the wise men. Uh, we don't know where they came from. We don't know at what point in the story they showed up. Were they there the night Jesus was born? Was it two years later? We don't know. Uh, we also, we, we don't know how many wise men there were. The Bible never tells us. Historically, we assume that there were three because they brought three gifts, but we don't know for certain. Interestingly, in the 5th century, some stories started to come out of Greece that painted a a deeper picture of the wise men, and they actually gave the wise men names. One of the wise men was called Melchior, he was from Persia. Another one was called Caspar, he was from India. And the third was called Balthazar, and he was from Arabia. One of the fascinating things to me about Ebenezer Church is that we have this wonderful opportunity here at Ebenezer uh, to serve people who serve. My wife and I met while we were both in the United States Air Force, and we here at Ebenezer have a chance to serve the people who, who serve. We, many of our people are connected to the United States military, and, and many of you, like me, had the opportunity to go on some all-expense-paid trips to the Middle East, thanks to Uncle Sam. Uh, yeah. I just thought that, that you, those of you who have, have been with me over there would, would find this interesting. There's a German archaeologist named Ernst Hernsfeld, and, and he, he made a discovery that I think is interesting. The word Casper can be translated as Guadafaraza in Persian. And Ernst Hernsfeld suggests that the town of Kandahar, Afghanistan is actually named for Guadafaraza, one of the wise men who came to visit Jesus Christ. In reality, it is most likely that all three of the wise men were from Persia, and that they were Zoroastrian priests from a subset of the priestly Zoroastrians who studied astrology called the Magos, from which we get the word Magi. And you might say, what in the world does this have to do with the Church of the Nativity? Well, about 300 years after the Church of the Nativity was built, in the year 614 A.D., a a Persian king named Kosar II invaded the Holy Land. And when he invaded the Holy Land, he ordered that every church in the Holy Land be burned to the ground. And systematically, the Persian army started burning church after church after church until they got to the Church of the Nativity. And they walked into the nave of the Church of the Nativity and they looked up on the walls and they saw these frescoes. And there on one of the frescoes were three guys in Persian dress. And so the Persian army said... If you're honoring men from our homeland, we're not going to burn down your church. To this day, the Church of the Nativity, for that reason, is one of the oldest churches in history. As we continue our journey through the church, as you walk through the nave of the Church of the Nativity, you come to the front, to the altar, and and then you would head off to your right, and you would see this set of stairs that's uh, leading down into something called a grotto. These are those stairs... I noted last service that this is precisely the location when I was visiting um, the, the Church of Nativity that I got into a bit of an argument with a Greek Orthodox priest because he shushed my wife. 
it, it wasn't it wasn't that contentious, but we did have an opportunity to find reconciliation Methodist and 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 Greek Orthodox. So that was good. In the end, it turned out great. Uh, but when you stand at the top of the top of these stairs and begin to walk down those stairs, you walk down into a grotto. What is a grotto? A grotto is a fancy name for a basement. In fact, it's a particular kind of basement. It's a basement uh, used that, that is actually a cave. So a cave that's used as a basement. And in the first century AD, the basement under the Church of the Nativity was used to house animals. As I noted earlier, there's virtually unanimous agreement among scholars that in this cave, under the altar of the Church of the Nativity, is actually the place where Jesus Christ was born. As you walk down these steps and turn to your right, you see something interesting. It actually kind of looks like a fireplace. This is a picture of it. There's all kinds of stuff that's been decorated down there. It is a Greek Orthodox church, the Church of the Nativity. And uh, if, you, if you actually get a little bit closer, you see on the ground is a 14-point star fashioned from silver. Why a 14-point star? Uh, well, there's a plaque over this that says this is the birthplace of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the 14-point star is there because according to Matthew, there are 14 generations between Abraham and David. 14 generations between David and the Babylonian exile and 14 generations between the exile and Christ. What the Church of the Nativity is attempting to do is to help to recognize that Christ was the fulfillment of the promises God made all throughout the Old Testament, all through the many generations of God's people. As you can imagine, it is a powerful experience to stand in this place. I I knelt down and I I touched that star and I, I prayed there for just a moment, and I, but I wasn't, I wasn't done. I, I needed to stay there a little bit longer. So I stepped back, and it's a relatively small space, but I stepped back into the space, and, and I just started to look around and try and take it all in. And that's when I noticed something really curious. Along the right side of this cave, there's this little cutout space. It almost looks like this cave had a closet. And I thought, what a fancy cave to have a closet, right? But what I, when I walked in there, and later I discovered this thing that looks like a closet is actually called the Chapel of the Manger. As you look down, as you walk in the Chapel of the Manger, there, fashioned out of the rock, it's now covered in marble, but fashioned, carved out of the rock, is a feeding trough. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus was born, he was wrapped in clothes, he was laid in a manger. And we've historically thought of that as a wooden device filled with hay, and maybe it it was, but if, in fact, this was the place Jesus was born, and almost certainly it was, it is most likely that that is the place where Jesus Christ laid down his sweet head. It was a powerful experience for me. It really it brought the truth of the Christ event into focus. And, and this is the point where I wanted to part the walk through the Church of the Nativity and begin to talk about the meaning of the Christ story. And I want to do that through the lens of the shepherds. God picked shepherds to be the first to visit Jesus. Now, shepherding was unskilled labor. It was. And on the social hierarchy in Israel, shepherds were at the bottom. In fact, shepherds were so poorly regarded, you you couldn't even call a shepherd to be a witness for you in court because their word was considered to be so unreliable. Think about that for a moment. 
as I read you this passage from Luke 2. In that region, shepherds were living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. Not some people, all people. And in verse 15, he continues, Then when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this king that is take, this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in a manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. God picks people we would never expect in this story. Remember just a moment ago, I told you you couldn't call shepherds as, as witnesses in court? So who does God pick to be the first witnesses to the birth of Jesus Christ? People we would never expect. People who could never be called as witnesses even in court. We didn't expect it. If you think back to the wise men for just a moment, have you ever thought about the interesting question why? Why were the priests who came to visit Jesus not from the Jewish faith? Why did they come from so far away? They just aren't what we would expect. The shepherds weren't what we expected. In fact, the whole tale is a tale we never expected. Mary was too young. Elizabeth was too old. Joseph was too obscure. Nazareth was just a little weed of a town. The shepherds were too lowly. The wise men were from too far away. We never expected it. The humility of the story is staggering when we stop to think about it. And so far we focused on the humility of the people and the places. But for just a moment, I want to turn our focus to the humility of God in this story. Think about something with me for just a second. The two most important events in human history are the day that God became enfleshed as a child at Christmas and the day that God conquered death that we call Easter. Have you ever thought about the fact that both of these greatest events in the history of the world took place in a cave? You could, you could say it's the story between two caves. Jesus was born in a cave and he was born again from a cave. A story between two caves. Christ deserved palace. A palace in which to be born and yet he was born in a makeshift underground barn. Christ deserved the grave of a king, but he was buried in a borrowed tomb. It simply isn't what we would have expected. What would inspire the creator of heaven and earth to leave the comfort of glory and live a life between two caves? You know, there's only one answer. Love. What would cause the powerful to become vulnerable and life itself to be given over to death? Love. This is what it took for the father to save the children he desperately loved. 
The point of looking at these pictures and and telling these tales is to take the story of Christ's birth out of the pages of story books and place it squarely in the reality of space and time. The birth of Christ begins the greatest chapter in the greatest love story in human history. And it's a story we never saw coming. Filled with people and places we'd never anticipate. But it's so much more than that. Deep down, the message conveyed by God through these curious events, its meaning is the last thing we would ever expect. Because part of our sin and broken nature is that we have a tendency to align our sense of self-worth with things that can't ultimately give us worth. We tend to align our sense of self-worth with the grades that we make, the jobs that we have, the salaries we pull in, our parenting or our production. What we find in the Christmas story is that the single most important truth about your life or mine has nothing to do with us. Yes, God used everyday people, the too old, the too young, foreign priests and lowly shepherds, but none of that is really the point. The point of our story is this. In the reality of space and time, love put on flesh for you. In a cave, under a now old church, love was born. There's an old theologian by the name of Paul Tillich. He wrote a sermon one time. It's called, You Are Accepted. And in that sermon, he says... There, there are moments in, in history, moments in our lives when God's love breaks in and it's as if life is, light is breaking into our darkness. And he says, in that moment when God's love breaks through, it's as if a voice is saying to us, you are accepted. You are accepted. You're accepted by that which is greater than you and the name of which you do not know. Don't ask for the name now. Perhaps you will find it later. Do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. In the reality of space and time, God broke into our darkness and shared something we would never expect. The truth that we are beautiful and beloved. It's so powerful, this truth. It can almost feel like a violation of our souls. But that is what Christmas means. Christmas is a glimpse into the heart of God where we see unmerited, perfect love and find to our utter astonishment that the object of God's love is us. So, here is my Christmas challenge to all of you. Accept the fact that you are accepted. In a real place, among real people, Christ was born. And at Christmas, we glimpse into the heart of God, the overwhelming, unbelievable love that we never expected. How do we respond to love like that? Perhaps, for now, All we can do is to accept the fact that we are accepted.
That's what Christmas means. You have been accepted. You are loved by God and there's nothing you can do about it. You have been accepted. It will change your life. Accept the fact that you are accepted. Because that is the point of Christmas. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we give you thanks that in a real place, amongst real people, you were born as light breaking into darkness. We give you thanks that through the power of your Son, Jesus Christ, we come to understand who we are. The defining characteristic of all our lives is that you love us desperately. We are accepted and loved by you and there's nothing we can do about it. Thank you for the gift of Christ. Thank you for the love that it infuses into this world and into our lives. And I pray for all of the people in this room tonight that as we go forth into the beauty and blessing of Christmas, that we would find the grace to simply accept the fact that we have been accepted. And that that power of that love would change our lives in this world. In the name and to the glory of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.